Don't miss any gems. <laughs> ah, you started to listen to this morning, huh? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of that uh, graphic I chose for it? Uh, well, I went to Apple Podcasts, so I don't know what I think of the graphic. Oh, it should show it, even in Apple. Um, let me just double check that. I see our logo. When you go look at all the episodes, it's not showing. No, no, I'm not saying it's okay. <laughs> this is what I see, the Moped Outlaws thing. Okay. I'll, I'll look at the graphic. Um, my guess, I think I saw it at 3 a.m. when I was scrolling. <laughs> what are you doing up at 3 a.m. on social media? Uh, well, I do this thing where I fall asleep at 930 and then I wake up and I usually wake up in a kind of emotional state that I feel vulnerable talking about this podcast, now, but essentially I feel anxious and 3 a.m. is when your liver's activated, like your adrenals kick in, stuff like that. And I forgot to take my ashwagandha yesterday. Anyway, so what I'm doing at 3 a.m. is I'm allowing my mind, which wants to have a conversation with me that will keep me awake, to just kind of do what I want to do. And I, you know, sometimes I need the spaciousness, the quiet of this middle of the night to really hear my inner world. Your anxious inner world. Well, the thing that actually helps me restore my equilibrium is the quiet and right. And yeah, one could argue that scrolling Facebook at 3 a.m. is not the way to do that. <laughs> one could, <laughs> but I am biting my tongue. <laughs> it's my fucking life. <laughs> uh, uh, if I want to be anxious and fucked up, then I will. Gosh, darn no, it. Oh, no. If, if, I, if I'm feeling anxious and fucked up and I want to distract myself at three in the morning by doom scrolling. You can't <laughs> masturbate. Um, can't. Oh, you know, it's Kathy. Would you wake her up? Ooh. This is not a public conversation. <laughs> it actually is. It's a podcast. It's as public as you can get. Right. But I'm not having this public conversation about this person and, and that idea. <laughs> I am not talking about my sexual life on a public podcast. Well, it's not me. I'm cool with it. It's a, as far as I go. But what I was saying is you would wake her up if you started whacking off. You so brought her into it, and so that's why I'm shutting it down. Like, if you just asked me about me and didn't actually tell her, say her name, 
then I would have more freedom to discuss it with you. I understand. Okay. Let's bring her into the room. <laughs> She's not here. <laughs> I do understand. We can move on. We don't need to go your into question. I choose not to masturbate in my life. All right. That's the answer. It's a good answer. Which is probably why I'm awake at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Stop scrolling through Facebook. I'm fine. <laughs> I shall not choke the chicken. I'm fine. Maybe I should take it up again. I don't know. It's a boy. I have a, a colleague that I work with in men's work who is they're talking about semen retention a lot in the work that they're doing. And there's some, there's the chi, right? But there's this other energy that gets dissipated with the semen. And we've heard about this for a long time in various circles, like boxers talk about don't have sex before the fight and stuff like that. And I've heard that there's research that says it's a fallacy, right? Yeah. And, so what I'm doing is experimenting with my vitality. Like how amped up can I get? And what can I do if I'm amped up? Well, apparently I can make shitty comments on Facebook. <laughs> Why'd you get some feedback this morning? <laughs> no, no. You're just self judging your comments. Yes. All right. It's beautiful. It's part of my journaling exercise today. To <laughs> self judge myself. It's to self judge your Facebook comments. <laughs> In our men's group, we are going to criticize our Facebook commenting. Okay. We're going to analyze. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that's also like, I put a lot of pressure on myself. And in a way, there's something about that that you, we can talk about as being valuable in a sense of like growth and development. And then, then there's a shadow side to that, which is, it's just fucking ego, right? That I'm supposed to be something that I'm not right. Yeah. Like, I have well, to what, work so hard at it. Right. That was one of your primary things when we were coaching together is you're like, Greg, this mad thing you have for being perfect is actually fucking you up. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that age old thing. It's like coaches, therapists, you know, politicians, saints, sinners, we're all on this ride together, taking the the class, you know, and it doesn't have to be school of hard knocks, but it's, it's certainly, you know, karma classes one oh one. It seems to be like they're, there are m- many a teacher who has said it's as dangerous to engage in consciousness as it is not to almost like they say you should engage in it, but be ready. It's yeah. One of my favorites is uh, a guy named Adya Shanti. And he says that awakening is no picnic. A lot of people have this like idea that awakening is like this la la zone, like you've arrived and it's, it's Nirvana and it's bliss. And, um, <clears throat> he, he, he said, maybe I shouldn't have listened to him. 
<laughs> That's what he said. He no. said, maybe I shouldn't have listened to him. Jesus came to me when I was 14. Said it was, maybe I shouldn't have listened to him. That when you, when you actually break through to some opening, whether it's abiding or non-abiding awakening, it's like way more uncomfortable than being asleep. Ignorance it, is bliss. Until you don't know something you, that you're, you're going to suffer about for not knowing. Well, then you're not ignorant anymore, right? I don't know. It's too abstract all of a sudden. <laughs> maybe, maybe I would be able to understand you better if I hadn't woke, been up since three. Moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really love the graphic. I think it's a very powerful image. I just love it. I could feel your excitement about today's episode when I saw it. It's like there, you know, the episode we're referring to is art is our producer. It's a good episode. I've listened to the first 10 minutes of it. It is good. <laughs> if we do say so ourselves, <laughs> maybe um, we should start our own like newspaper or something. And we do reviews of moped outlaws and we'll just give ourselves great reviews every time. <laughs> But we won't, you know, we'll call it like, give it some real fancy name. Like the Argus Observer. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Really fancy masthead and everything. Right, some Greek letters on the sides. Exactly, yeah. Some vines and eagles and things. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And all it'll be is just great reviews of Moped Outlaws episodes. <laughs> right now, we're the main people listening, so we're why, why not? Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> uh, I'm actually pretty inspired about what we're doing, and um, I'm I've done been doing some work, and in that's why I'm kind of stirred up at three in the morning. Is I'm I'm un, unearthing my own growth and working on myself some more. And when you start to dust off all of the stuff and you see, Oh, there's this stuff I want to do. And I I got to the point where I was like, God, I got two podcasts in the can that I haven't posted yet from the um, Mark Wentz um, tales from the Interverse, And I'm like, Ooh, it might be fun to start doing that again. And then I'm like, should I have to, should I say something about not having posted anything in eight months? Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing in blogging and podcasting is the commitment to do it regularly. And so many people fall off. Yeah, I want to. Uh, yeah. Thanks for helping me feel bad about myself. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like even my own blog, my personal blog. I haven't done shit on it. The blog that I do do something on is because of my accountability with my brother. This podcast, I have accountability to you. So it really does help to have some accountability, an accountability partner. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's funny because from a philosophical standpoint, it's like we're not separate. So this idea that we have an accountability partner is really and the integrity of showing up isn't there's nothing they can do right if we don't show up right there's nothing they can do but our ego 
we're like training our ego, the thing that doesn't want to be seen as being bad. And that's the motivation we use for showing up. Like I'd really like my, my hope and dream is to love what I do so much that the need for an accountability partner drops off. <clears throat> yeah. Are you I think that about uh, yourself yet. Well, yeah, that reminds me of Prince, like one of Prince's quotes. I think you're the one who turned me on to it was when he said, I don't want to be like someone was asking why he keeps changing his band so much. He's like, I don't want to be attached to anyone because they could leave. And then what? And there's this guy, David Goggins, who's a fucking beast. I don't know if you've come across him in your work. Really inspiring story. Very inspiring man. He is a physical superhuman. And part of his thing is he, you know, he, he goes hard, like his, his talk <coughs> is hardcore, like, you know, that military, but anyway, um, so he calls it like the bitch, you know, like the bitch mind or something or the devil, you know, and, but it's that any conversation that's telling, you no, you can't do it. So, you know, he talks about like people who have to have music when they work out. He's like, what are you going to do when the music's not there? You're not going to work out? Fuck right. that. You work out. You know, he's running in 110 heat. Yeah, it's a fucking hot day. So what? Man up, David. And he's always talking about himself. That's what I really appreciate about him. He's like, today I looked at my shoes for half an hour. I didn't want to run. Finally, I said, quit being a bitch, David. Get those shoes on. Go running. And, uh, you know, and... Yeah, That's when you his. frame it in the eye as opposed to like making other people wrong, it's a powerful motivator because then we all realize that it's ourselves that we have the most accountability to. And in the end, it's our disappointment in ourselves which is causes the greatest wounding. I know that from personal experience. Um, and I was literally thinking of like what I wanted to put on social media today in the framework of how I'm struggling and, you know, this is what I was struggling with. And, you know, we all do. And that kind of giving that kind of a voice. And I, I didn't, I haven't posted anything today and it ultimately that felt kind of performative, but, and I was a little scared. Like I don't want to be that vulnerable necessarily, but that vulnerability and that willingness to be completely visible is actually the key to being connectable to people and for the, for your audience to find them behind you. Yeah. I saw a great little meme that said, it's going to be hard. It's not impossible. Yeah. I I thought about that when I did an ice bath last weekend for 10 minutes, I was like, Oh, this is fucking hard, but it's not about, okay. Just stay here. Oh, it's fucking hard. Where was the ice bath? In the bathtub. I bought six bags of ice, which cost twenty five fucking dollars. The right. ass, you, man. You poured it in there, and did you wait for it to melt, or did you add? No, you get in. Yeah, f- no fill water. it up with no cold water. Fill it up with cold water. Dump six bags of ice in, and submerge myself as much as I can into it. Yeah, it's that Wim Hof thing. Did you do the breath stuff first? No, no. So, what was your experience? Well, uh, uh, once, you know, there was definitely a breaking point. And once I got past that, I was fine. But then I, when I attempted to submerge my arms, it hurt too much. I had to pull them out. I tried twice and I just couldn't keep them under. 
And again, this is me saying like, I couldn't, that's the truth. That's what I chose. I chose, I'm not, I can't do this. But you know, what I thought about is like, okay, that was this time next time. Maybe I'll be able to keep them in a little longer. Well, and that's, this mirrors other things where I have awareness of the mind and the mind being this thing that shows up to say that to you. I, it hurts too much. Right. Right. And it showed up like not today, but uh, last week I doubled my reps in my regimen. And there's a couple of really challenging poses in my Qigong regimen. I'm not talking about working out guys like, no, I'm, I have free weights, but that, I'm not doing it at that level. Anyway, immediately in a couple of the different challenging poses, the mind starts to come in. Yeah. And starts having this story about what is or isn't going to happen if you stay in the pose. And that edge for men is the growth edge. Well, it's, I think, for humans. Yeah. And, yeah, agreed. <laughs> Not for women. <laughs> agreed. Um, pardon my masculine. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I need to apologize for my apology now. <laughs> Don't be a fucking wuss. <laughs> anyway, so that place where we meet the monkey mind or whatever it is, that's where the most growth and capacity it becomes available. And, and like, I remember this about myself, but I still habitually get caught up in my avoidance. But every time I break through, I have this greater sense of the possibilities, but not just for me, right? But in terms of the big picture, in terms of life. And I'll tell you, one of the scariest things that I experience is there's this moment called um, sealing the cauldron. And after I've done all of the different Qigong exercises, I seal my breath. And I hold my breath. And when I get to that point where I can't hold my breath anymore, I realize there's going to be a time when I'm going to die. (laughs) And I won't be able to stop. I won't be able to actually let the breath out and breathe. I'm going to pass through whatever that resistance is. And it it's really freaky to confront that in that moment. It's just like, wow. Right. And I think that's why it's there. Right. It's like, okay, get ready. This is your, we're all, you know, meditation, Qigong, like on one level, it's like, let's improve our life. Let's be how, but I think at a fundamental level, it's to practice for detachment from that grasping part of ourselves that eventually will be overcome that, you know, one day the body gives out. Right. And there, no matter what the mind is saying at that moment, there's no turning back. There's no like, oh, I'm going to pull my arms out now. <laughs> or like, I'm going to, I'm not going to do this rep. It's too tough. Like right. when we get to the death rep, rep, rep <laughs> the death rep, <laughs> Mark's no, gym, the death rep. <laughs> right. And so the moment ten death there's reps. this moment of surrender. That happens. 
and you don't get to like with the death one, you don't get to actually choose anything else. But in practice, who knows what, maybe you choose the light. Well, I, I think you're actually getting off the spot with that question, but in, in practice, like, um, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you were talking about surrendering, letting go, and you don't get to choose with the When death. you die, you don't get to say, okay, I'm, I'm done surrendering. I'm going to, like, let's go get some ice cream. You right. know, like, <laughs> this death but, thing didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. I can't like, do it today. With Maybe that there last is that. push up or, you know, holding your breath for that extra 10 seconds this time the mind is what starts to fuck with the body. Mm -hmm. The body actually, well, with breath, the body has its own mechanism that it'll just, when you (laughs) surrender, you'll basically breathe. But I noticed there's resistance and, and there's trauma in me that has resistance to these breakthrough points. And so someone like that super athlete, you just mentioned, Mr. Go, is that what you called him? David, David Goggin. Goggin. Like I'm on the other end of the spectrum from those guys. I was always like, that's not for me. Super athletic stuff. It's too much. Like I don't have it in me for that. But then I remembered how, when I was a boy, I was all about like going at those edges. Like I was pre X games, X games, like jumping my bike over shit, dropping my skateboard into crazy spots. And I was fearless. And so I got really super curious, like, where, where did I cross over? When did you change your story? Like you, all of a sudden you started telling yourself this story that you weren't an athletic person. You didn't like to go hard physically. Right. Yeah. And that wasn't your story when you were a kid. Right. Like, yeah. When did I change my story? When did I decide (laughs) that there was something to be avoided? Right. Right. What happened? Yeah. And I'm, you know, I have some ideas about that and, but it, it just ends up sounding like blame. If I get into it, I still have to kind of work <laughs> through all of that, you know, and I'm, I'm very clear about how the blame game, like I'm, I'm one of these guys, radical responsibility, like, yeah, what did I do? Right. Right. And, um, yeah. So, which could be like someone said something to me and I chose to believe them. That's the radical responsibility. It's still your decision. Like Greg said that I'll never be able to climb that cliff. And I chose to believe him. And from that point on, I chose to never attempt to climb cliffs. Well, I it wasn't don't Greg's think there fault. was anybody involved. I think that the ultimately it was some kind of um, pursuit of less lethargy pursuit, you know, of, I'm like, hey, this is it's more fun to be on the couch and be stoned. Like have this big old like bowl that. of ice cream. <laughs> yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to. And um I can I have a choice now. I can be feel shame about that and regret, which I think I do. And then the other time is well, what value does that give me? Those two things don't actually perform any value for me. But so what I do now is I show up every day at the limit of what I'm capable of now. And I'm actively stretching that limit. Like maybe not as, I'm not going as hard as you. Like I know you and you're, you, you, what's that stuff you do with the barbells and, um, 
CrossFit. CrossFit. Like that would probably be really good for me. And I'm like, come on down. Well, there's, it's, I got one right down the block. I could probably go to. Yeah. Now with the Peterson brothers, they're the, they're the shit. So this is, I think one of what you're talking, the way you're talking right now, this male competitive thing, that's, I think that's the shadow for me. It's like, I don't want to be less than. Right. I don't want to show be be the guy like my ego. I have to be the winner. So I better not compete because if I'm not the winner, then it's all wasted. I'd rather be the loser 24 seven than risk actually losing. Ow. (laughs) Is this that razor's edge you were referring to a couple weeks ago? Is this what you wanted? I'm not sure I wanted it, but it feels really fucking good right now. Yeah. Yeah. Ow. Yeah. Yeah, bitch. That's razor burn you're feeling right there. (laughs) (sighs) Here's what's brilliant. I just heard this morning a woman just set a record, and I'm going to fuck up what the record is, but I think it was deadlifting for the oldest competitive woman deadlifter i think it was deadlifting it was definitely some sort of weight competition a hundred years old i think she is or 101 she started lifting when she was 81 wow yeah so that's a story i hear that and i'm like all right so the shame thing like i don't need to fucking worry about the past let me start today yeah start with today yeah exactly totally And just like with the ice bath. Okay. So today I could, I didn't put my arms in and hold them in. Well, you did, but you only did it for what? 30 seconds. seconds. Yeah. I don't know. 10 seconds. It was pretty quick. It was, it was so painful, but here, but when I got out, my thought was, okay, next time I might be able to hold them in longer. So it wasn't a waste. It wasn't like something I was ashamed of. It was like, okay, Next time, a little bit better. Yeah. The, my trap, my personal trap is there's the, I'm doing it for performative reasons. I want someone else's approval and that sucks. Right. I really want, like my journaling today was all about converting that into the internal desire for myself, self-resourcing and it's hard when you have a little bit of knowledge about how the inner workings of people go as a coach, because when you start to see your own bullshit, it's even more uncomfortable, right? We were talking about awakening and I have, my ego has to just let go. Like, dude, this idea that somehow you're perfect or you're superior or inferior, any of that, it's just, it, God, you know, it's like when, like, when can I get over this? Like how many ice baths? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. That's the other thing. I just saw a meme. Like, I think it's fucking ridiculous that you work hard in the gym to get the body you want. And then you got to keep doing it. <laughs> That's the other piece to it all. Like it doesn't stop. You don't hit the point. Like I'm done now. Yay. Disneyland. It's like, no, every day. Well, the key thing that you said there was to get the body you want. Right. Right. 
And, and that can happen by changing your mind about the body you have right now. And then, well, what I aim for is that to, to want to be in the gym, not because of the body that I'm going to have, but be, just to feel what I'm going to feel when I'm there. And that's what works for me. That like, that's the, um, partially because I have super low expectations about ever looking like I'm going <laughs> to, I'm always going to be Play-Doh. <laughs> and I, I like, we've, we've moved from one year, like it used to be being cut. And now there's this other word people have been using, like um, chi- it's not even chiseled. It's not, like the next layer beyond cut. It's like super cut or whatever. It's like, it's not, it's not, isn't that a hair place? <laughs> it's not like looking like Bruce Lee is not enough anymore. Like you have to be like, Ultra. Who do you look like? Fuck. It's just a skeleton. <laughs> you take off the top layer of epidermis. Well, and then on a, like there's the next layer, which is once you achieve that kind of physicality, there's health and flexibility, mm-hmm. right? And longevity. But then there seems like there's something else. And I think on some level, we all are still chasing this idea of being validated. Well, like going, bringing the OM practice into this, as we so love to do, there is a joy in being upstroked. So if someone, you know, checks you out and goes, wow, you look great today. Feels good. And that's the other thing I was thinking about with talking about ego and wanting people's adoration, which feels good. And uh, Norm McDonald passed away last week. Right. I'm a huge fan of his. Always, you know, I have been for many years. But of course, like everyone else, I did a deep dive into his stuff again. Part of what occurred to me is his humility. Because... People didn't talk about him the way they have the past week while he was alive and actively performing. You know, they got accolades, but not to the degree this past week was. And I think what happened is it came to an end. And all of a sudden, all these people started coming out like, oh, and you know what he did? And all oh, like all these ways he touched people on a daily basis blossomed like all of a sudden people started talking about it where while he was alive it, it wasn't really like ah norm yeah norm and crazy norm but all of a sudden it ends and it's like wow you know what he did my, my i heard um i think it was conan saying that no it was who's conan's um sidekick on his show i forget the gentleman's name i don't anyway know. all right so Norm came, he was going to be a guest, and this gentleman's niece was in his office, happened to be visiting the set, and he was gone. Like, Norm's supposed to meet with him, and he was gone doing something, and Norm hung out with the niece for an hour, just hung out with her, talking, and she felt so good, like, because he really listened, he was interested, and just... And that's the kind of stuff that has been coming out this week. It's like, that's who he was. Mm-hmm. You know, he just had a way to help a person feel good. And I think ultimately that's what he was about is he wanted people to feel good. Well, I can relate to that. 
Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. That's a big one for me. Um, it's why we changed the name of our podcast, because ultimately, bottom line, yeah, we want to push buttons. We want to have fun. We want to ride the razor's edge. But ultimately, we want people to feel good. And when we found out that the name of our podcast was just a slap to the face right at the get-go, we were like, oh, that's not what we're really here for. Right. Yeah. And I think when we push ourselves to our edges to create more expansion and better possibilities for ourselves, it ups our capacity to be better human beings and then therefore to create a better world and for therefore for people to feel good. And that just loops back to us, right? It's like, if we live in a good world, then we can feel good. And, you know, the, the converse isn't actually true. Like, you know, part of my practice is to meditate and some days like the freaking lawnmower goes off or like today my phone rang (laughs) and I'm like, whatever. And I just stayed in my breath. Right. So it's, we're not subject to the environment per se. I mean, for those of you living in California who've experienced smoke, you may argue this point with me, but (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, there's the people who just dealt with it and still remained a positive person. And there's the people use, you know, yet another thing to be pissed off about. Well, and I think that that part of remaining a positive person is being willing Mm -hmm to feel fucked up and feel our anger and feel our self-loathing and feel frustrated because otherwise you're just cut off, right? You can't, you're not actually going to feel good all the time, but the alternative is to not feel. And that's like, it's worse, right? Like I, it's again, I'd rather wake up and realize, you know, what that, the consequences of waking up and being more aware of what we're doing spiritually in in reality than to be asleep and not feel like the whole comfortably numb thing or, you know, and where, you know, where I'm at now is owning all the different ways that I've had addictive behavior that aren't, you know, like, Oh, they're, they're covert addictive behavior because it's not heroin. It's not cocaine. It's not alcohol. It's not right. But it's still this thing. That's all about stroking the ego and all about creating a false sense of self-worth out of this externalized um, experience. And yeah, I think there is merit though to saying, Hey Mark, you look great today. And like you like now, maybe it pisses you off, but there's like the Pollyanna thing I've always thought is a good thing. I've never really well, it's down on last week. We were talking about whether it's appropriate or not to tell a woman she looks beautiful without consent. Right. We talked about that. Right. Last week. Right. And, and you my were perspective like, then was a lot harder than it is now, partially because you were telling me I look good. <laughs> no, I like your breasts. <laughs> Man, bra. <laughs> See, I that just, just sliced all sorts of different ways. Um, I, I do think like it's okay uh, to go through life 
doing one's best to help people be happy should they so choose. Like there's an element of, you know, smiling at someone and they just like, ah, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> what are you, so what? I was talking with a, someone we both know and she um, Saturday was downtown at the Mill Valley Art Festival and saw this guy she's seen all around Mill Valley for like 40 years, you know, growing up here and introduced herself. And he just was gruff. And as he walked away, she said, you know, a smile would have been really great. It would have been awesome. And he just kept walking and. And then she felt bad about that. She went and apologized. And well, and men do that to women like, hey, baby, like, how about a smile? And then we talk about how that's like that's misogyny on a certain level. Like our expectations are not for other people to fulfill. Here's the thing, though. Ultimately, like radical self-responsibility <clears throat> is fuck all that. Because if you say, hey, Greg, you look great. And I'm like, ah. You're like, well, you could have smiled and ah, and like whatever each of us is feeling doesn't matter what the other did. Ultimately, I'm choosing my gruffness and I will continue to choose it. Like I'm choosing my joy. I hear that. I totally agree. I'm sorry. I argue with you last week. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's where. It's so interesting. Like, I believe there's merit to knowing history, the truth. But there's also a point where it's like, so what? Not so what you suffered, so what? Who cares? No, it's like, yeah, you suffered. Your your now ancestors what? suffered horribly. I want to be now what? Right. Exactly. That's it. Now what? Now what? Yeah. Yeah. I had a dream last night. You spit on me. (laughs) Well, did you really? (laughs) (laughs) So you wonder what's been keeping me up since 3 (laughs) a.m. Oh, they say turnabout's fair play, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might, must have a guilty conscience. That's right. I didn't pay enough uh, attention on the Day of Atonement last week. That's a you spit on me. Ray Albrecht, our dear brother, he slugged me once. <clears throat> I have certainly pushed my friends to the breaking point more than once. <laughs> are you keeping score? No, those are just the two that... Um, I guess affected me that, enough to stay permanently etched in your trauma memory. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> On my deathbed, I'll be blaming you and Ray for the fact that I didn't actually succeed in life. <laughs> Fuck this self-responsibility shit. It was Ray and Mark. Fuck them. Give me some more morphine. Damn it. <laughs> I don't want to feel anymore. <laughs> oh my God. We have a, um, one of the guys who used to be the bass player in Illumination, he goes to the dentist and doesn't get Novocaine. That's and I was crazy. like, wow, what the hell? Why? And he's like, it's just pain. It's just something of the mind. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell? Right? And I'm like, fuck. There's no way. Like, 
right? And it's that same thing we were talking about a few minutes ago. It's like, can you manage that? And he's like, for whatever reason, and I was just thinking about this the other day, you know, contemplating death and suffering. And like so many of us now in America, especially if we're above a certain level, we have morphine when we die. Like nobody has to necessarily die without morphine now. Right. Right. Like 50 years ago, not even that, that percentage was way lower. And I was thinking to myself, all right. So if I went to my, the most like advanced Buddhist guru, I could think of asking this question and said, should I let them give me morphine when I'm about to die? What's that going to do to me in the afterlife? What's that going to do to my experience of the karma? As if like there's some way where you're supposed to try really hard to die right. (laughs) (laughs) Like that's the level of trying so hard I'm at like in my life right now. It's like. (laughs) Which door do I go through? Door number one, door number two, or door number three? Tell me, master. (laughs) Burn the doors. Oh, if you see the Buddha on the trail, kill him. (laughs) That's the so like here again from Course in Miracles. For me, part of the joy is all this madness and chaos of the right way, the wrong way, and all this doesn't even exist. Because in the true divine nature, all is perfect, always has been, always will be, because that's how divinity creates. It can't create anything else. And I was thinking about this just Saturday morning, because I was thinking how um, it used to bother me, the question of like, well, if God exists, why did he create suffering? Why did he create war? Why? And then I realized, oh, he didn't create that. <clears throat> So a better question is why is suffer- why does suffering exist? Mm-hmm. You know, or why do I believe suffering exists? Mm-hmm. And so all these things—the right way to die, you know, be a man and don't take the Novocaine, or you know, be a man and apologize when you're wrong. Like, who cares? We're all perfect, right? And then there's moments where choosing to stretch a little against that discomfort actually yields something of value. Yeah. But we get to choose it, right? The, the idea that someone should, that's where we start to get around the edge. Now, let's talk about vaccines. Wait, okay, perfect, because I noticed you were watching the Spike um, documentary more. Right. Okay, I'm just a bit into episode two, but I finished episode one, and it looked like you had at least gotten halfway into three. I'm done with episode four. Okay, all right. Part of what I love is I think he, he in essence, is saying, okay, all you people who support Agent Orange, you know, President Orange, that's oh, yeah. Our, yeah. like all you people, look at what you're really supporting. All you people who think this whole thing is a is a hoax, like, look, here's some people. And it's a fucking like two hour episode, right? Like there's like all these doctors and nurses and EMTs and people whose parents died and on. And you're like, oh, that's kind of where I came up because there's a part of me that wants to give the benefit of the doubt 
to the stories I hear. Like maybe Donald is, you know, there was some element of good to the person. And, but here and watching this, I'm like, oh, this guy really was a fucker. And like this really, this, this pandemic is real. It is really happening. And he fast tracked the vaccine. He sent money from the federal government to get that shit going as quickly as it could possibly get done. Is that in the documentary? I don't know, but it, it's the fact. It's a fact. Oh, we're about During, to get disturbed, I think. What? No one's coming up the stairs. Oh. You well, don't hey, hey, Neil, we're doing our podcast. Get out of here. Well, have him come in. How often do we get Neil on our podcast? He won't. He won't do it. Neil, shies, come on in here. He shies away from this stuff. But he wanted to hang out with you. Well, he's actually looking for something. Oh, got it. He wants some art paint or something like that. Or yeah. But no, I've attempted to do an episode with him twice. <clears throat> and every time he comes up the stairs and I'm on a Zoom, he like flips out. And Public eye is just too much for him. Yeah. Always has it. been. I got it. Um, I think that affected the ideal husband's career. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what I was saying is one of the things about that period of time in American history was he did make a decision to marshal a whole bunch of federal money and forces to back the vaccine production. And, okay. um, you know, he, he didn't do it single handedly. But one of the things that people forget to do is give credit to him for some of the things that he did well. Right. Like now we're seeing the atrocity going on in Afghanistan and he definitely like he didn't just pull everyone out immediately. Well, you know what? I'm not quite sure about that one. Well, but oh, he, no. set us, he set it up so that 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 the withdrawal would start. Here's part of what I guess was really prevalent in um, this documentary from Spike is he definitely fanned the flames of hatred. He, 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 what the actions I saw him that I saw, especially the most obvious one is the church where he called in the army, the federal guard, the police to clear out the peaceful um, protests that was happening so that he could go take a picture with the Bible in front of the church. Like, that's a real fascist move. Well, yeah, it, mostly it was um, narcissistic. Well, the fascists are narcissists. Yeah, but in this case, I don't give him the enough brilliance to think of like he act, is actually setting out to rule the world. I think he's just narcissistic and egoic. So the like, yeah, it was a. a terrific misuse of power don't get me wrong to clear the public protest so that he could take a picture with a bible and not just which he's flouting i mean at that point this dude like i personally i would not wave a bible around just based on my own iniquity right (laughs) 
I, who am I? Like, no. So that that was like double indemnity. No, it's, well, it's so funny. They use tear gas and, you know, from what I've heard, yeah, that's the force, irony of it. batons. And yeah. yeah, like, fuck you, bags. All right, Jesus, Jesus, love, peace. It was really just about a show of force, right? Like Spike says in the thing, he says, they sent a message to everyone that was protesting, like, this is what I will do to you. Now, that's fascism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we might have him back, like 2024. Make America hate again. Yeah, yeah. I I think after having experienced it, America's smarter than that now. I think. I don't know. There's a lot of people that still there are. I agree. I agree. Totally. You know, and and um, not and every think... place is like California where they'll push that stuff back. Right, but I, well, you know, it's yeah, like Newsom not being recalled is kind of a positive in the big picture of you know people acted. I don't think Newsom and Pelosi are so far removed from the dawn, you know, in their own way that they do right. their well, life. Power corrupts. Uh, absolutely. Right. So we have all right. of this, this mechanization, the machinations of what it takes to get elected in this country that undermine, you know, and we look at someone like um, AOC. Right. That was name deserves actually being pronounced properly. Well, Alexandra Ortega Cortez. Uh, Yes. And I was going to mention her and also the gentleman representative from the Bronx that was in episode one a lot. Like they seemed like honest politicians for and even like me saying that kind of gets stuck in my gut and throat. I'm like, you know, so I have resistance to that train of thought. Not a politician. Yeah, I'm ask you a question. I want you to just say yes or no right off the top of your head. Would you vote for me? Yes. Okay. You know, so there I know. are certain classes of whom humans that inspire our trust. Well, um, on the recall thing, you know how you could say no recall. However, if he is recalled, I vote for this person. I voted for you. Did you? Yeah. Liar. I did. That's real. That's awesome. I didn't vote for anybody. And then later I was like, oh, shit, I should have put somebody down because there was this whole thing of like, if you didn't put someone down, we might be really screwed. And I'm like, whatever. I was so glad I was right because for a while there, it was waking me up at 3 a.m. worrying. (laughs) I was going through Facebook. (laughs) Finally got through that. Now it's just Greg spitting in my face that has me up at three in the morning. Yeah, I wish I could tell you the details of the dream. It was pretty, pretty. Uh, um, Were you like teasing not, me about I this date I had with this limo and everything? I, I don't know. Is that I, that's what happened with me? Huh? You were teasing yeah. me about midnight. It was the night that you had that big date with the limo and all this, and I must have said something that pissed you off. I had a lot wrapped up in that, which was a really great, wonderful lesson in disappointment. <laughs> I really set that one up for a very big lesson. <laughs> it was great. Like I had, my mom was getting married in San Francisco. And so I had a reason to have a tux and I had, I was coming from that. And then I had um, made arrangements to pick up my date at her house and go to this club in Corte Madera, which is now closed a club called uncle Charlie's. 
which was still open back then. And I was, this is a weird way to use this word. I was pedestaling this woman, which was meaning I wasn't actually having a relationship with her. I was having a relationship with the part of her that I concocted in my own mind that I projected onto her. She was everything. And so I had spent several weeks and a little bit of money doing um, this song demo of a song I wrote for her. And I'd produced it and I'd gotten it on a cassette and I decided, fuck it. And I, I rented a limousine. Yes, he did. I, so I showed up <laughs> at her house and I'm like, let's go. And she gets in the limousine and she's like, something isn't she's already, she's like not feeling good about it. And I had the exact ex- opposite expectation. I'm like, I'm in a tux. I'm picking her up in a limousine and I'm going to play her this song. I wrote for her. Everything is going to be amazing. And she, she just completely retracted. Like it was way too much. Now the truth is we really did have a rapport, but I wasn't developed enough in my own life to know how to really connect. I had to perform what I think you're supposed to do. And so I put all this extra fucking frosting on this cake that wasn't needed, metaphorically speaking. And I don't remember whether you purloined me after the fact or before the fact. I don't remember. It was like you hadn't left. You were about to go and and That's so how you, I remember. You're giving me crap for going all out on this stupid girl, like something like that. And I was, something, I, got I said something. Yeah. Well, you definitely poked a hole in something that was going to poke, get a hole poked in it anyway. So what was her reaction to the song? I, I think she appreciated it musically because she was a, a really good singer. And I think that the, the, like the frosting and the way I laid everything on so thick created all kinds of pressure and all kinds of expectations. And I wasn't actually relating to her as who she was. I was, again, like I said before. So it's hard to be enthusiastic about something, even something that was genuinely good. Like the, the song wasn't bad. I mean, it was an eighties. It was the eighties when we did it. And so, <laughs> that sounded like a like so. Keep that in mind if you ever hear. Well, it was it, a okay? drum machine, and it was a an, an, uh, with DX seven keyboard. Which, for those of you who understand the synths of the eighties, there was that. And my guitar playing was okay, and but my singing still hadn't really fully matured. Like I'm a way better singer now. In fact, I should probably start performing that song again because it's a decent song, yeah. and. uh it's about a mythical creature who didn't really exist. <laughs> Apropos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how that all happened. And she eventually we got to the club and like she, she wasn't having fun. And we looked weird in this rock club with me in a tux and her. I mean, she looked great. She was dressed 80s club color like really colorful. And she was a beautiful, exotic, sexy woman, but I'm sure the room could read like, Oh, she's not having it with this guy. Like it was so obvious. And so we didn't stay very long. And then I dropped her off and like, I could 
tell right away there was no reason to even go for like the goodnight kiss. This, I mean, this is like a bad 80s movie script now that I think back on it. Like, was there I, Coke? Uh, no. No, oh, well, that's one key ingredient to a bad. Well, age. I wasn't down with that. Like, no. all my, you know, some of my friends and neighbors were really into it. And maybe this is the one sliver of, of silver in the gray that, like, I wasn't going to stoop to that. <laughs> I'd do everything else, but <laughs> maybe, I a the, maybe if we'd done lines in the car, it would have been better. I don't know. I don't know. I like, uh, do you think ultimately like you're, you're in your imagination, a night of sex was the climax of the whole evening. Well, that would have been the beginning of a whole experience. Lifelong. Like a relationship, at least. I don't right. know if it would have been lifelong. Oh, really? So you weren't picturing kids? and No, and ultimately she did have kids. And at one point, um, she was living near this place that I was working in Santa Rosa. And she had two kids and, and she was a single mom. And she was struggling. And I had heard from her. And so I would drop by there at lunch uh, for an hour just to visit with her. And I was able to be encouraging and soothing. Like our friendship had a quality to it, even though it didn't work out for us romantically. There was always this kind of warmth there. But um, that thing that I've been talking about throughout this whole podcast about myself, which is this limousine trip is another example of trying too hard instead of relying on the core essence of who I really am. Right. So the big mistake in that relationship was that I always showed up inauthentically trying to be something more than I was. You know, what's interesting later, right? There is an element of what's real. Like, so on um, Instagram, some woman pinged me and every now and then I get a ping from someone like, Hey, do you, are you okay being friends? You know? And I'm just like, all right, here's another, you know, scam looking for the lonely old man. And anyway, um, so, but I go like, yeah, sure. I'll be your friend and play along. And Friday, she, you know, asked me about like, somehow it came up and she, she said, Oh, you don't have your home. I said, no, I rent a room. Haven't heard from her since. <laughs> and there is this reality. Like I think a woman that I would want to date and be with wouldn't want to be with me where I'm at in life right now with this beater truck, I'm renting a room in someone's home. And there's a part of me that's very grateful for what I have. I have this great room. My son's living here. So I was able, you know, and I, the woman who owns the home is allowing it to be. And that's a lot of gratitude for that. I'm grateful. I have a vehicle at all. Be a difficult life without it. But there's also the reality of like the relationship that I'd want to be in the one I'd, I'd, 
like on the, cause as you know, there's the surface level relationship and then you start diving in and you get to the point where it can be for better or worse because things happen in life. But for right now, it started off with the worst. I wouldn't like if a woman, you know, like, yeah. So there's this primary disapproval of yourself in there. You're basically saying I wouldn't join a club that would have me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so the invitation for both of us, because I'm not separating myself from that dynamic, the invitation for both of us is to become that person that we would want to date. Exactly. Yeah. To become the person that, right? And it's worthiness isn't the right answer because we're totally worthy. Our hearts right. are worthy. But masculine appeal has this co- component of producing. We need to be producers in our culture. There's a material element of it. And it's one of the weird things for um, independent women who've been successful in their financial life, more successful than some men, when they come across men that they like, who they feel uh, attracted to, but in a strange way, if they aren't producing at the same economic level uh, as they are, that it's a disconnect for them like at a sort of root level. And um, I think it's a symptom of the way our materialist society has been constructed. But at the same time, if you broke it down to just the primal, it would still be the same, right? It's not the context really. And, you know, I struggle with my own self image around my economic productivity and my own, um, the way I've invested the various times I've had wealth and the way that's, ways I've had wealth. And the women around me do a better job of it. And I'm curious about that. And I'm also, I believe that I'm capable of creating it again. And I believe that there's a possibility. And so I'm deep at 3 a.m. when I'm not sleeping, I'm looking for that part of myself that wants to live a certain way so that I can anchor that desire to my productivity so that it has a place to go. So that it has a, a thing to flow to so that I, you know, like I got up today motivated to make something happen. And it's because I want to, I want to have economic success, but I want it to be anchored to what I really want out of life, which is to be of service to people. And so I'm actually in full approval of this possibility for myself. And I'm deeply anchored into the desire of achieving the success around it because I'm, I'm, it's purpose-based. It's about what I want and I'm, and it's motivated and sort of the darks, the additional dark side of that is when I'm failing at it, it makes it so much worse than is if I were failing as like an accountant. And I could blame being an accountant as a boring life and right. <laughs> right. So it's like, It comes with so much more angst when you're driving from purpose and creating from that place. But um, I don't think I'd have it any other way. You know, I just experienced something this last week where I had an audition Monday and I killed it. It was awesome. Um, And as the day progressed, I kind of like in my gut was thinking, I don't think I got it. Even though I killed it, like the director had a great time. I had a great time. I was able to do what he was asking. 
And then I got an email from him uh, Friday night saying I didn't get the role. And he said what happened was that they chose someone who they felt better partnered with the other character on, on a whole. Right. Better chemistry. Right. Um, but he's hoping to work with me in the future and thought I did great, great acting, et cetera. That's great. And when a guy takes the time to actually say that to you, that's a, a pretty good thing. Right. And that's, Most and I wrote back like to him. He didn't get the part. Well, I wrote back to him and I said, of course, you know, I was hoping to get the part. This isn't the news I was hoping for, of course, but I didn't feel bad. Now right. and then I'd have little sparks of feeling bad, but I'd be like able to go, wait a minute, you know, let that like, so I was still at gratitude for nailing that um, audition and it did not take away from my energy to want to do more auditions. Whereas when I feel like, ah, oh, fuck failure, then all that energy and juice to keep doing it disappears. Yeah. Yeah. So again, kind of like the bathtub, you know, if we're like, okay, today it was this far tomorrow. Like, so that's great. Like I still, the positive is like, I've got some stuff to work on. I totally agree. So every day is another chance to show up and do better with love in our hearts and generosity towards the human condition and compassion for what everyone else is going through. But most of all, compassion for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Recording stopped.